listening to a Garden City Chapel podcast by Dr. Robert Shaw. For a complete archive of podcasts, visit our website at www.gardencitychapel.com. Amen. As you're seated, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and I want to start with this question. Don't answer this one out loud. What tempts you? I want to talk this morning about temptation, and I recognize that some things that tempt you may not tempt the person that's seated next to you. You may think, well, that's crazy that that would tempt you, but we all have things that tempt us. There's really only two possible answers if you say, well, Robert, I'm just really not tempted. One, maybe you're yielding too quickly, and so you're not struggling with temptation because you're not struggling. You kind of take the philosophy, hey, that sounds good, I think I'll try it. And the other may be that Satan's not real worried about you. But for most of us, we recognize that, you know what? Yeah, there's things that tempt me, and I, I struggle with those things. Anytime I'm in a group setting, if I'm teaching a small group, or maybe we're sitting around a circle, in fact, I think we did this this week with our staff, if somebody ever walks in late, and sits down, you know, they're already embarrassed enough because they're late. But I will typically look at them and say, okay, we've all been sharing our worst sin. And I think it's your turn. <laughs> That's kind of what you could do with that, you know, what tempts you, you know. We kind of want to have this holier-than-thou attitude of, well, I'm never tempted, never struggle with that. So then the next question I have is, why does God allow temptation? The Bible tells us, that God cannot be tempted by evil, and God doesn't tempt anyone. And yet, we're tempted. Why is that? When they were building the Union Pacific Railroad, they came to a, a gulf between two hills that they had to build the track across. And the builder, the designer of the bridge, once the bridge was completed, he brought the train and loaded it double. It was double the weight that would normally be on the train. He brought it and he parked it right over the trestle, right over this chasm. And one of the guys said, what are you trying to do, break the bridge? He said, no, I'm trying to prove that the bridge can't break, that it won't break. What we're going to look at this passage this morning is a passage where Christ was led by the Spirit to be tempted. And the thing we discover is that he would not yield. Let me read these 13 verses out of Luke chapter 4. You can follow along. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written... Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and all its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for here, from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and 
On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. I want us to look this morning at these particular three temptation accounts of Christ. And then I want to close by looking at some strategies for living in temptation. What do you do when temptation comes? Right out of this passage, just some strategies that God teaches us. I want you to see that the Spirit of God, Jesus has just been baptized in John, excuse me, in Luke chapter 3. We've seen Him approach John the baptizer. John has baptized Him. He's come up out of the water, and it says immediately He's led by the Spirit to the wilderness. And catch where he's being, why He's being led there. To be tempted by the devil. Now, I think we only catch these three temptations. We only catch the big three at the end. This is after 40 days. But the indication from Scripture, and if you read this in Matthew's account, the Gospel of Matthew, same thing. He's being tempted the whole time he's there. We only see these three. So let's look at the three that we see. The first one is this. He hasn't eaten anything for 40 days. For 40 days and 40 nights, he's been in the wilderness, he hasn't eaten, and it says after 40 days, he has become hungry. When I read that, I first thought I have is, it don't take 40 days for me. You know, I'm kind of used to three meals a day. But Jesus was there for a purpose. And folks, there's times that fasting is very biblical and I think very called for. It takes your mind off of your temporal needs and allows you to focus completely on God. And so it may be that for 40 days he really had been so focused on God and is such a struggle over the tempter that it really was after that that he was very hungry. And if you do the research on this, you can't go more than about a week without water. And if you go much more than about 40 days without food, you can do permanent damage to your body. So Jesus is kind of at the end of that. I mean, he's at 40 days. And keep in mind... Jesus is fully God, but He's also fully man. How do I know that? Because of this. James tells us God can't be tempted by evil. And yet Jesus was tempted. I think He's both fully God and fully man. And at the end of 40 days, He became hungry. I think some people have this picture of Christ that He almost never touched earth. He kind of floated above earth. His feet never hit the ground. And so He never experienced what you experience. Folks, that's not true. He did experience. He experienced joy. He also experienced sadness. But he also experienced temptation. And in this case, he was hungry. And if you've ever seen some of these rocks that they have over in Israel, and you hadn't eaten in 40 days, some of them start looking like loaves of bread. Now, I challenge you, don't try to take a bite out of one of them. But here's Satan. He comes to him, and what does he say? If you are. Son of God. And I, I've read this passage this week and I've kind of wondered what was Satan's motive? What was he trying to accomplish here? And one thing you need to know about the truth of God is this Satan will always challenge what God is teaching you is true. If you are the Son of God. Well, how did Jesus know he was the Son of God? Well, for one thing, he was God. But how would everybody else know He was God? In the previous chapter, in verse 22 of Luke 3, of 3, when Jesus was baptized, as soon as He comes up out of the water, it says, A voice out of heaven says, You are My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
So now after 40 days in the wilderness, I don't think Jesus had doubted that. But folks, maybe Satan was trying to discover, are you really the Son of God? Is, is what was just said about you the truth? And I don't even know that that was his motivation. I think, bottom line, on these three temptation accounts, the bottom line is this. Satan wanted to sidetrack Jesus from the mission that God had sent him here for. And so he asked that question. He, he's going to ask him twice. He's going to basically say, hey, if you are the Son of God, why don't you do this to prove it? And this is kind of just a little addendum. If you look at the end of Christ's life, same thing happens. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, it says the people that gathered around the cross, even the passerbyers, said this same thing. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Well, Jesus didn't have to prove anything. Why? Because he knew he was the Son of God. He had heard the voice. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, had descended upon him. He was the Son of God. He didn't have anything to prove. Second thing Satan does is takes him, it says, in an instant. It took him to a high mountain. In an instant, it allowed him to survey the kingdoms of the world. And Satan said, I'll give you all of this. It's all within my power. Now, any power that Satan has is temporary and limited. It's delegated. But for a while, Satan does have some power over planet Earth. In fact, he's referred several times in the Gospel of John as the ruler of this world, the prince of this world. There's coming a day when all that power will be taken away from him. But what does Satan do? He says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I think the bottom line here is Satan is saying, okay, you came to save the world. You came to be a savior. Let me shortcut the process. All you've got to do is bow down and worship me. You're here for the kingdoms of the world. You don't have to go to the cross. Bow down and worship me and I'll give it to you. Say, why did Jesus Christ come to earth? He came to live a sinless life. But He ultimately came to pay the penalty for your sin. He came to satisfy God's call for judgment on the cross. And Satan wanted to sidetrack that. And folks, I've got to tell you, give it a choice. It would have been a whole lot easier just to say, okay, I'll worship you. But Jesus knew the ultimate purpose. In fact, Jesus knew any authority that you've been given will one day be totally taken away from you. You will be defanged and declawed at the cross. So then Satan takes him to the temple. He takes him up to Jerusalem, the holy city. And it's interesting, in case you're a Bible scholar, Matthew has these two temptation accounts in reverse order. Matthew has him going to the temple and then to the high mountain. In Luke's gospel, Luke has him going to the high mountain and then to the temple. And you say, well, man. Does that cause me to doubt Scripture? Absolutely not. Anybody that has eyewitnesses account of something may get things in reverse order. How did they find out about this anyway? I think Jesus had told them. And I think now led by the Spirit, they write it in this way, but Luke chose to put the pinnacle of the temple third, and Matthew puts it second. But he takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple, and here he says again, this little, you almost just get Satan's voice in this, of just saying, if you are the Son of God. Why don't you cast yourself down from the temple? And then Satan does something very interesting. I don't know if you knew Satan could do this. He quotes Scripture. Satan quotes Psalms 91, 11, and 12. So you've got to understand something. There are times that Satan comes with the appearance of an angel, appearance of light, and he shares a half-truth. 
Let me tell you something. Anytime somebody tells you a half-truth, what's the other half? A lie. Let me just say, if truth is truth, and if there's any lie in it, it's not the truth anymore. Satan was twisting for his own benefit part of Scripture to get Jesus again to do something that wasn't part of the Father's plan. Why don't you just prove that you're the Son of God? Well, who did Jesus have to prove this to? Satan? No. He didn't have to prove it to himself. We don't know that there was a crowd gathered here. It's just him and the devil. And yet there's times that we're confronted with similar temptations. Now, I promise you, we don't have the ability to turn stone into bread, so that's really not a big temptation for us. We don't have the ability to take over the kingdoms of the world, and yet, I, I tell you, Satan desires you to worship him. That's the reason Satan got kicked out of heaven in the first place. Here's Satan. Satan was created. He's a created angel with limited power. The Bible says he's the most beautiful of all angels. It said he had a real snappy sports coat. Go back and read this in the Old Testament. He looked at God one day and said, God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. I think I can take him. And Satan thought, I want to be worshipped like his. I'm going to put my throne above his throne. Bad idea. So God cast him out of heaven. And a third of the angels with him. See, Satan's been trying to get a group to worship him since the beginning of time. And he's still doing that. You know what? He's not going to show up at your door with a red suit on, with a pointy tail and a pitchfork, and say, hey, I'm the devil. Worship me. That won't work for most people. So how does he do it? He comes very cunningly. He comes in things that at, at first glance don't even look all that bad. But folks, if there's anything you're tempted to do that is apart from God's will, it's not from God. It's from the enemy. Don't do it. He'll even quote Scripture. But folks, if what you're being tempted to do doesn't square with the Word of God, then it's not from God. I had the opportunity to go to the former Soviet Union a number of years ago. I was in the Ukraine. And the same time that I was over here, this wasn't long after the kind of Iron Curtain had been lifted and we were now able to go and preach freely over there. The only problem is while there were evangelicals preaching over there, there were also cults preaching over there that were twisting Scripture. And so I had a lot of questions, especially from Russian teenagers that were asking me these questions. I thought, where are these questions coming from? And then I found out, oh, well, they're being taught some things by other religious people. And so I left them with this. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be here much, much more than a week. So here's my rule of thumb for them, and it's my rule of thumb for you. Anything that you hear, whether it's said by a preacher at your, or in a pulpit or on television, if it doesn't square with the Word of God, then it's not from God. So that's how Jesus was tempted. And then notice the end of this passage. It said that after the devil had tempted him in every way, he had finished every temptation. The word there really means he had brought it to completion. I guess Satan had taken his best shot and anything he could think of, whether it was the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life, he tried it on Jesus. And I'd love to say the passage says, so he gave up. He did not. It said he left him until an opportune time. And if you read the Scripture, he doesn't wait to the cross. There's points along the way where temptation comes. And Jesus never sinned. 
So we come then to this place. Of making some applications for our life. I've kind of titled this a strategy for victory in temptation. I think I kind of used to preach it more like how to avoid temptation. And I did, man. As a youth pastor, I tried to teach teenagers, there's some great strategies and you need to implement some of these. If you struggle with eating too much, then maybe you need to avoid the buffet. If you struggle with lust of the eyes, then... There's some things you ought not to watch on television. There's some movies you don't need to go to. And I would just encourage you, if the things you're watching don't glorify God, quit watching them. Things you listen to don't glorify God, quit listening to it. But I almost had this idea, you know, if we could just remove the outside stimuli from teenagers, they would quit sinning. Well, then I come back to this passage. Where was Jesus when he was being tempted? He was in the wilderness. There wasn't any television there. There weren't any billboards. There weren't any movies. There weren't any magazines or books. There wasn't the Internet. He was in the very place I always thought if we could just get teenagers there, they wouldn't be tempted. He was tempted in the wilderness. Why? Because Satan is out to destroy you. And temptation will be a part of your life until you see Jesus face to face. In fact, let me throw a real monkey wrench into your plan. The longer you walk with Christ, the greater propensity for sin you have. Now, let me explain what I mean. Here's what Paul said. Paul says, my flesh is being corrupted. So if you think the answer to overcoming temptation is let's just clean up the flesh, impossible. It's putrefying right before your eyes. So what do we do? Instead of feeding the flesh... We feed the Spirit. Let me, let me walk you through these six things. First thing, first strategy that we see Jesus implement is He quotes Scripture. Every single temptation that the devil throws at Him in these three that we see, how does Jesus respond? He really doesn't argue with Satan. He simply says, it's written that man shall not live by bread alone. In fact, it's interesting to note the three passages that He quotes are all from Deuteronomy, and they're all between chapter 6 and chapter 8. Now, when's the last time you did a study of Deuteronomy? be a good book to study. That's what Jesus quoted from. In fact, when Jesus quoted the first verse, He said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. That's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It says this, He humbled you and let you be hungry. And fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. The next thing, Satan says to him, why don't you bow down and worship me? Jesus quotes again, Scripture. Deuteronomy 6.13, that says, You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship and swear by His name. Deuteronomy 10.20, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him and cling to Him, and you shall swear by His name. Quoted Scripture again. And then the last one, when Satan says, Why don't you cast yourself off of the temple, off the pinnacle of the temple here, and you're not even going to bruise your foot on the ground. His angels are going to catch you. And he said, it's also written. Because Satan quoted Scripture there. 
He said, no, let me, let me tell you the real meaning here. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massa. Jesus knew the truth. Men and women, teenagers, listen to me. When Satan comes to you with a lie, return to the truth. Jesus had just heard the Father say, you're my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And you need to know the truth about who you are. Because Satan will come and lie to you. And he will, you know how he lied to Adam and Eve in the garden? He said, has God said? And then he went on basically and said something God didn't say. And Adam and Eve bought it. Fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Be careful. Because here's, here's Satan's mode of operation. He wants to accuse you before God. He wants to go before God and say, she really doesn't love you. The only reason she loves you is because you blessed her. That's what he did with Job. But he really doesn't get anywhere with God. Why? Because God knows the truth and acts on it, lives that way. So then what he does is comes to you and says, here, try this. This will make you happier. That, that emptiness, that loneliness you're feeling, if you'll just do this, it'll plug that hole. It'll fill the loneliness. So Satan tempts us to do things that are apart from God's will. And then as soon as you do it, what does Satan do? Then he comes back to you and says, God don't love you anymore. Look what you just did. And you're kind of thinking, well, it was your idea. But Satan wants to destroy you. So then he wants to come and make you feel guilty about what you did. So know Scripture. Know the Word of God. Second thing is that being tempted is not a sin. Has that ever sunk in to you to recognize that Jesus Christ the Bible says, has been tempted in all ways that we have been and yet without sin. That's Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So you can't say, well, Jesus, you just don't get it. You don't understand. Yes, he does. He's been tempted just like you have. He just never sinned. So being tempted is not the sin. What's the sin? The sin's yielding to it. So folks, when you're tempted, have a strategy for dealing with the temptation. Sometimes that strategy means I need to remove myself from this position. It's kind of like going to the doctor and saying, Doctor, I broke my leg in five places. The doctor says, well, stay out of them places. Well, if you find yourself constantly be, being enticed and tempted to sin, do the math. It may be that some of the places you're going are not conducive to your walk with Christ. It may be some of the things you're watching or listening to are not helping your walk with Christ. They're causing you to be tempted and yield to sin. So being tempted is not the sin. Yield to sin is the sin. Third thing is, draw near to God. I just read Hebrews 4.15. Let me read verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Folks, the first thing you ought to do when you realize you're being tempted is rather than wrestle with it, rather than argue with the devil over it, is to turn to God and just say, God, I'm being tempted. I need help. In fact, God, I need mercy and I need grace right now. Draw near to God. 
The fourth thing is, this may be a new one for you, there are no new temptations. I, th- I think some people think, well, Robert, you just don't understand what it's like in 2009. You know, the devil has come up with some new temptations. No, he hasn't. How do I know that? First Corinthians chapter 13, the first part of the verse says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. So you're not alone. You're not the only one that's ever been tempted in this way. Others have been. And I think Jesus was. But it, you don't have to yield. So there's nothing new that Satan's dreamed up. There may be new technology. It may be easier to get it before your eyes. But it's not new. It's the same old stuff. Fifth thing is, here's the good news. Jesus provides a way of escape. The last part of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. First part is, no temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. The last part is, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. God knows what you're able to endure. And it's real, you've got to be real careful making a big distinction between the word temptation and the word test. But James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's a purpose for what God allows in your life. And if we're promised in His Word, He won't allow anything more to hit you than you're able to bear. And folks, it still comes down to where do we turn for help? Do we try to face it on our own? Do we think maybe somehow we've put it all in this trash can and we're holding the lid on it? Or if we turn to God and say, God, I don't see the way of escape here. This seems to have me trapped. And yet your word tells me that with every temptation, you'll provide a way out, a way of escape. God, show me where that is. And I promise you, as you focus on Christ, and focus off the temptation, He'll deliver you. He'll show you where the way of escape is. Last thing, you must have a relationship with Jesus. If somehow you think you can do this on your own, it is impossible. If you don't know Christ, and you're getting beat up by the devil, you are helpless apart from Christ. I know that verse in the Bible that says God helps those that help themselves. You ever heard that one? God helps those that help themselves. Guess what? That's not in the Bible. In fact, it contradicts everything that is in the Bible. My grandmama used to quote that verse. So I believed it most of my life. I've heard people recently quote that verse. Well, you know what the Bible says. My ear as a preacher always perks up and says, Well, you know, you know what the Bible says. Duh, the Bible doesn't say that. You can't do it on your own. If you're a Christian and you're somehow trying to just gut it out and live it on your own, you think, I've been to enough sermons, I've been to enough seminars, I've got notebooks full of notes, I know the Bible inside and out, I can take it from here. You're a sitting duck. Satan will eat you for lunch. You need to stay connected in relationship with Jesus Christ. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, you can do much. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray together. Father.
We've talked about truth this morning and God distinguishing the truth from a lie. And sometimes our itching ears love to hear what Satan peddles. God, help us to be quick to understand that he's out to destroy us. And he'll use whatever means he can use. But Jesus, thank you that you've paid the penalty for those sins. And that through relationship with you, we can have victory in the midst of temptation. We don't have to yield. Penetrate our hearts with that truth. Put it in practice in our lives this week. Lord, bring to our mind this message and this truth today when we encounter temptation from the evil one. And thank you. In Jesus' name.